Okay, so we're friends now, right? Yeah. We spent the day together, we've laughed, we've cried, and you got used to my weird accent. You've heard my terrible attempt at an American accent. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so we're basically friends. So I think we should know a little bit more about each other, or more specifically, since I'm going to be the one talking for the next 25 minutes. For this particular talk, I think it helps to know a little bit about where I came from other than just England, because I alluded to my spiritual journey earlier, uh, and I think it's helpful for what I'm about to say for you to know a little bit more about that journey. Because <coughs> I grew up in a good Catholic home. We went to Mass every Sunday. My sister became one of the catechists for the children's liturgy. I became an altar server, which I really enjoyed. Um, and it proves the theological virtue of hope and faith as well, because Catholics, they take an eight, nine-year-old boy, put him in a big cassock, and then hand him you know, a naked flame and flaming coals and expect nothing to go wrong. <laughs> but we did that. We would say grace before meals. We would say our prayers before bed. And my parents sacrificed a lot to send me to a Catholic school, which I somehow managed to survive and somehow managed to retain my faith by the end. Um, but it was at university where my faith really started to come alive. And it was through the work of an Irish missionary and the Holy Spirit, uh, but through an Irish missionary by the name of Maeve. Remember earlier I talked about heavenly and hellish creatures? She was a heavenly creature. She just had a light about her that I knew she had something that I wanted, and it was that divine life. And Maeve was part of an ecclesiastical community called Verbum Dei. You might have heard of Opus Dei or Casillo. It's that sort of thing, but they have their own particular charism. The details don't really matter, but the important point to make here is that while I was at university, I was part of a vibrant Catholic community. I was surrounded by people of approximately my own age and people who really wanted to grow in their faith and really wanted to share the gospel. And so we would get together at least once a week to pray, receive some formation. We would go to mass together and you know, we would just generally hang out. So that was university. But unfortunately, after university, things started to go awry. I got a job, and it was in an unfamiliar town, so I had to relocate. So I knew nobody there. But I thought, it's fine. I'll go to Mass on Sunday, make new friends. Unfortunately, nobody spoke to me. As far as I could tell, there was no young adult ministry. As far as I could tell, there were no ministries at all. The place just seemed dead. Didn't help the music was awful as well. God. But to add insult to injury, the company that had brought me to this town, in my first week there, they went bankrupt. Wasn't anything I did. I didn't touch anything. <laughs> but needless to say, that was a point in my life where I was feeling very low. And as a result of this, one Sunday when I was walking back from Mass, I stopped into a non-Catholic church. And it was there, in that Protestant community, that I found the community that I had been looking for. They gave me such a warm welcome. As warm as is possible for the English. We're not a very affectionate people. <laughs> I'm kidding, mostly. No, I, they, they, they shook my hand as I came in. They escorted me to a seat. Strangers I didn't know came up and spoke to me after the service was over. You know, when was the last time that happened to you at Mass? But during my time in that community, I learned so much about my faith. Uh, in very short order, they had recruited me to help out with their youth ministry, which was terrifying. 
And I found a group of Christians my own age. I made friends, and I had found a home. And unfortunately, it would be many years before I would rediscover the truth of the Catholic faith and return to the church full time. So why am I sharing this story? Because it's a bit of a downer. I'm sharing it because I don't think my story is unique. I don't think it's even rare. I think my story is very common for an awful lot of Catholics and an awful lot of ex-Catholics. Just since 2007, three million have left the Catholic Church. It's about 20%, a fifth of the total Catholic population. Now the question as to why they leave is, is one where there's actually been a lot of research done. And there's a lot of reasons that you could cite. But for me, I would say the overriding reason is that people come to the church looking for nourishment, connection, community. And if they don't find it, they will go and look elsewhere. Now, sometimes those people are fortunate enough, like I was, to stay in contact and in relationship with Christ through a Protestant church. But that's not even the case for a lot of people. Some people, they leave the church, they leave Christianity, and they leave Christ. And now let's change gears a little bit and tell you something a little happier and something that happened fairly recently. I will come back to my story right at the end and try and pull it all together. But let me tell you a little bit about Catholic life in San Diego. Every year we have a Christmas gala. So this past Christmas, several hundred young Catholics got together. We dressed up in our fanciest clothes and prepared for the social event of the season. It's a night of cocktails, dinner, and dancing. But there's also something else that happens at the Christmas gala every year. Patrick, our director of young adult ministry, basically our version of Gentry, um, he announces the winner of the Fiat Award. And it's given by his office to a young adult in the community that they feel has really enriched Catholic life. Uh, the recipient gets a shiny trophy, and they get to give an acceptance speech. It's basically the Catholic Oscars. <laughs> and I'm guessing that probably most of you here, none of you got to hang out with any of the recent Oscar winners. But let me tell you, you are currently in the presence of the 2018 San Diego Fiat Award winner. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you're impressed. <laughs> now, what was amusing about this in particular was that I had actually, earlier in the year, nominated one of my friends to receive that very award. Her name was Rachel. I had met her several years before when a friend of hers, a guy called Wade, was on his journey into the Catholic Church, which is a story in its own right. But Rachel took a while longer than her friend, a couple of years longer, before she finally gave in and became Catholic. But when she did, oh boy, <laughs> forget Katniss Everdeen. She was a girl on fire. Even before the Easter Vigil, she had already laid the groundwork for a young adult group at her parish. Right after the Easter Vigil, she went to go and speak to her priests, and she set up a Bible study. And that's why I nominated her for this award. She was a newcomer to the Catholic Church, but she got involved right away. She saw a need, and she stepped up, and she put her time and her talents at the service of her parish. And she didn't wait for somebody else to do it. And she didn't even wait for somebody else to ask her. She saw the need and got to it. Now, unfortunately, well, yeah, yeah, it was unfortunate. Yeah, the bad news is that she then moved to Colorado and she therefore wasn't able, she wasn't eligible 
to receive the award. But there was some good news. And the good news is that I got to swoop in and get the award instead. (laughs) In my acceptance speech, I told everyone about Rachel and about why I had nominated her. I shared a little bit with them the heart of what I'm really here to speak to you about in this talk. Put simply, it's this. That while they have a vitally important role to play, ministry is not simply the domain of clergy or salaried employees. They have a very important role to play, but ministry is not exclusively for them. It's my assertion that ministry is the calling and responsibility of every single baptized Catholic. That means all of you. And the doors are locked, so you can't leave. But this is where we come to the title of this talk. On the conference agenda, it's called We Are All Called to Ministry. Although I will admit that this talk had several working titles, such as Get Off Your Donkeys and Do Something for Jesus, (laughs) as well as Let's Put Gentry Out of a Job. (laughs) Now, you might be wondering if what I'm saying here is actually Catholic, because, come on, doesn't doesn't it sound a little bit Protestant? But let me put your fears to rest by quoting from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. In paragraph 872, it says, In virtue of their rebirth in Christ, there exists among all the Christian faithful a true equality with regards to the dignity and the activity, whereby all cooperate in building up the body of Christ in accord with each one's own condition and function. So the Catechism makes it very clear that from the Pope down, we have equal dignity. And every single Christian is called to build up the body of Christ. But notice that it says that the way this happens is different. And it's going to vary depending upon your state in life, whether you're single, married, especially if you have children. It'll also change depending upon your... (laughs) Thank you, young sir. (laughs) That was baby four. Yeah, I ruin everything. I'm going to make mum so tired. (laughs) Delightful. Future of the church. Welcome. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I changed my mind I think babies are great I want like an audience of them La- laugh at my jokes it's wonderful but how you serve is going to change depending upon your state in life and also your skills your training your disposition and the church goes on in the next paragraph of the catechism to really emphasize this it says for in the church there is diversity of ministry but unity of mission Different ways, but with the same end. It says to the apostles and their successors, so the bishops of the church, Christ has entrusted the office of teaching, sanctifying, and governing in his name and by his power. Remember we talked about theosis, participation. For the ordained clergy, they participate in Christ's ministry in a very special way. But it goes on and says, But the laity are made to share in the priestly, prophetical, and kingly office of Christ. And they are therefore, in the church and in the world, they have their own assignment in the mission of the whole people of God. We come back to theosis. Theosis is sharing in the life of God. Well, the Catechism just told us that by virtue of our baptism, we get, we get to, all of the laity, we get to share in Christ's priestly, prophetic, and kingly ministry. Which sounds cool, but what does that mean? So I think, what do priests do? Priests sanctify things, they bless things, they intercede for others, and they offer sacrifice. So that means that as laity, we do the same things, but in a slightly different way. 
We're called to sanctify the world around us, our schools, our workplaces. We're called to intercede for others. And we're also called to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. What about prophets? What do prophets do? They speak the word of God. We're called to do the same thing. Father speaks it from the pulpit. We speak it from our cubicle. We speak God's truth to a world that desperately needs to hear it. You only have to look at the news to see there's an awful lot of the world that needs to hear some basic common sense as well. Lastly, what about kings? What do kings do? Kings rule. We're called to administer in wisdom all the things that God has given us. In our home, our family, our work, whatever our sphere of influence is. But we're called to model ourselves after our servant king, Jesus. Who on the night before he suffered for all of us, he got down on his hands and knees and washed the feet of his disciples. This is how we share in Christ's priestly, prophetical, and kingly ministries. So hopefully it's now very clear that what I'm describing here is very, very Catholic. We just associate it with Protestants because they do it way better. It's time we caught up. And so what I'm hoping to do is, out of this talk, to accomplish three things. The first is to help you realize all of the gifts that you have been given, all of the passions that are unique to you. Secondly, that God is calling you to use them. And thirdly, that this doesn't have to be something burdensome, but this is something that can actually be an awful lot of fun. Now, there's something I've encountered again and again as an adult Catholic. I've met people who love their Catholic faith, but when I talk like this, when I speak about every single person being involved in ministry, they say things like, well, you know, I don't play an instrument. I, d- I don't sing very well, so I can't be in the choir or the music group at Mass. Uh, I'm not especially good at speaking, so I don't think I'll make a very good lector. And I'm very self-conscious, so I don't think I'd be a good altar server or usher. Notice something that all of those things had in common. They all take place at Mass. And while it's a really good and praiseworthy thing to be involved in those ministries at Mass, it's a powerful witness when people see young people up there. There are also many, many other ways in which you can serve Christ, build up the body of Christ, and offer your gifts to the church. Let me explain using my friend Carrie. Now, when I first moved to San Diego, I was really amazed at how much was going on in the Catholic community. You were never short of anything to do. There's something happening every night. And I came to discover that it was something that Carrie did. And I got to work with her for quite some time because she was in Gentry's role. When somebody was started to hang around with us, when they started to enter the Catholic community, she'd get to know them a little bit, and then she would ask them a question. She said, what are your passions? What is it that you love to do? And so someone might respond, I don't know, I'm a rock climbing instructor. I really like doing that. And so what Carrie would do, she said, oh, that's really great. How about I put down an event on our diocesan calendar, and if people would like to come with you, you could show them this passion of yours and introduce them to something that you love so much. And this had some important consequences. Firstly, it became far easier to invite non-Catholics to Catholic events. Because people found it much easier to invite their colleagues to rock climbing on Saturday morning rather than mass on Sunday morning. But yet in doing so, they were perhaps introduced to a community of Catholics for the first time. 
So not only would you see a lot of non-Catholics at these events, you also saw people drawn in from the periphery of the parish because these were some church activities that they could really get behind, that really spoke to them. And finally, you saw a transformation of some of the relationships. So you had some acquaintances from Mass, but these now became real friendships. When you're hanging off a precipice together, you you tend to bond with people. (laughs) And this all had a real impact on me. I saw what she was doing. She was taking people's existing passions and then transferring them and turning them into ministries. I saw her do this with all different kinds of hobbies and professions. My own financial advisor, she would get him into the parish to give small seminars on budgeting and basic financial planning. It was really dangerous being around Carrie because she she would find out what you loved and it's just like, I know how to use that. (laughs) Her entire principle could be summed up in this quotation from Gil Bailey. He said, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and go do that. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. And Carrie's way of operating really affected me and shaped the way that I live life in San Diego. So I wanted to tell you about some of the things that I do there. I love going to the theater and going to the symphony, so I therefore founded the Finer Things Club, and I invite other people with me on my cultural adventures. When, sometimes when people ask me why I came to the United States, I tell them, cultural missionary. <laughs> I have a green card. You can't kick me out now. (laughs) My housemate and I, we agreed that we wanted better accountability. So we started a men's group. We called it the men's huddle. And we'd meet a couple of times a month, and we would share a beer and talk about what was going on in our lives. My friend Teresa, uh, she and I had both been to Teze in France. Anyone been to Teze or know what it is? Okay. It's, uh, It's this ecumenical monastery in the center of France, They had this lovely chant music. We'd both been, both fans, and she wanted to sing some sometime. So I said, all right, let's just book a night and we'll just invite people over. And we now do it once a month. And as you've heard, I'm a huge fan of C.S. Lewis, and someone was actually asking me about this at lunch, how I got into doing all of these things. Well, it was simply I met Matt at a party. I started talking about C.S. Lewis, because that's what I do at parties. And then I realized I'd met a fellow nerd. Um, C.S. Lewis himself, he writes in The Four Loves, he says, friendship is born of the moment when someone says, what, you two? I thought I was the only one. (laughs) But I had been saying forever that I wanted to start a reading group. And here I had someone who was a bigger nerd as I was. So I said, all right, let's just meet up at a coffee shop. We'll talk through the first chapters of Mere Christianity. I posted about it on Facebook. A bunch of other people turned up. Group's been going for about a year. We've read about eight of his books. That then grew into a podcast for people that wanted to be involved but weren't local. That then grew into the video series that we specifically tried to aim at people who weren't Christian to uh, open them up to some of the ideas. My point is that I simply did the things that I loved and invited other people along for the ride. And the same attitude has been fostered among my friends. Joseph, after he discovered Our Lady, he decided that he was going to pray the rosary once a week while walking on the beach. As you can tell, life in San Diego is very, very hard. Uh, 
please pray for us. Please pray for us. I'll tell you, it's been a bit wet recently. The temperature's gone down to like 55. Um, uh, but Joseph, when he decided that he was going to do this, he just invited other people. It was the same thing. He would just post a message on Facebook saying, I'm going to be walking on the beach at this time, praying the rosary. Join me if you'd like. My friend Corrine, she was troubled by the homelessness that she saw downtown. So she got together with just a couple of friends, cooked some meals, handed them out. They would do it every few weeks, and over time, people joined them. My friend Joe, he really likes scotch. So he decided to get some friends together and educate them on the finer points of whiskey tasting. Now, each of those things are very different, but they build community, help deepen spirituality, and make a positive change in the world, particularly the scotch. (laughs) So now, what about you? What are the things that you enjoy? Where do you see unmet needs in the church? Where do you feel the spirit tugging at you? And the point that I really want to emphasize again and again is you don't need to first go and get a PhD in theology. And it doesn't need to be complicated. And so before I draw to a close, I just want to give you a bunch of ideas of the sorts of things that I'm talking about. So social activities. Maybe you like basketball. You could assemble a few friends and have an informal game at the weekend. In San Diego, it's volleyball and ultimate frisbee. Those are are the really popular ones. If you're a really sociable person, if you are that person who's always standing in in the foyer after mass, talking forever, then maybe one thing you could do is just keep your eyes open for any visitors, or anyone that you don't know, or give yourself a rule that you're gonna speak to someone you don't know before you find your friends. That's a really important ministry in the church. I remember my own story. I walked away because nobody even said hello. Maybe you could open up your house one night a week or one night a month. Maybe you could invite the neighbors over for drinks. Very few parishes have men's groups, and that's the easiest thing to start because men have really low standards. (laughs) You know it's true. Turn up, bring beer. It's like, man, this ministry stuff's easy. But you could focus it around beverages, have a scotch club, microbrew club, uh, around sporting events, food, you go and smoke some meat. Uh, some very profound conversations have been had as all the men are standing around a, a barbecue, looking at the meat, and then it's like theologizing. <laughs> you could go hiking, camping. Maybe, maybe you have a skill that other people might like to learn. Woodworking, I'm useless at DIY stuff. There was a guy in my parish that says, hey, I'm going to show you how to put up a shelf. It's like, I am there. (laughs) Perhaps you could host a movie night. And that's probably one of the most low-pressure things to do and the easiest thing to invite people to. All you have to do is provide a movie, some snacks, and don't talk over the entire movie. And that's the speciality of my friends in San Diego. We have ostentatious evenings where we watch a Jane Austen adaptation, drink tea, and eat fine scones that's not your sort of thing. We also have epic movie nights. And the only rule is the movie has to be epic. So Braveheart, Gladiator, Pacific Rim, something that makes you want to go, yeah, at the end. (laughs) We've also done a Lord of the Rings marathon. So the extended editions over multiple weekends. Bonus points if you turn up dressed as an elf or bring (laughs) Hobbit snacks. (laughs) 
And currently, in preparation for the completion of Infinity War, we've been watching the previous Marvel movies and taking it in turns to host. What about service activities? If you're going to go to a food drive, invite a friend. It's that easy. If, say, a couple in your parish has got a new child, assemble a few friends, cook them a meal. If they've got a new toddler, babysit for them. Let them go out on a date and, or just drive around the corner and just sleep in their car for an hour or two. <laughs> Something else we did in San Diego is a bunch of us guys, we just got together and we just cooked a big meal for all of the women. We were the, we were the chefs and the servers and the entertainment as well. Var var various bits of singing were offered on, on, on the altar of dignity. What about faith-building activities? If you go into adoration, post about it on Facebook and say you're going to go and get ice cream afterwards. If you're reading a book and really enjoying it and you talk to somebody and they seem interested in the book as well, buy them a copy of the book, you now have a book club. Just pick up a six-pack of beers and invite people over to read the upcoming Sunday Mass readings. It really is that simple. If there's a faith-based movie coming out, Invite a few friends. If you do any of these things, you're doing ministry. And the formula is simple. Do what you love, and then invite other people along. Remember the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is very good at doing great things with our small things if we just offer them to him. But if even all of these things, even if then they sound too intimidating, the good news is you don't have to do this alone. Reach out to Gentry. The purpose of his office is to support you, to help you as you help build the kingdom. And reach out to your pastor. He's there to help. I spent most of this talk talking about how the laity should do ministry. And I want to make it very clear that this is meant to be done in concert with the clergy. I don't want my message to be misinterpreted as that we have to rise up and overthrow our clergy. <laughs> You know why I'm not saying that? You don't get invited back if you say things like that. <laughs> but you might do this. Go up to your priest and say, Father, how can I help? Then when you've revived him and picked him up off the ground, <laughs> ask him the question again, and he will, might have some suggestions for you. We're called to work with our priests. Because, you know, he's just one man with apparently just one outfit. <laughs> I always wonder, does he just have one shirt or just like two? Does he just alternate? <laughs> but this is the kind of response that was called for by the Second Vatican Council. If we as the laity are pulling our weight, then our priests get to be priests. They get to administer the sacraments and shepherd souls. Once again, the clock is forcing me to wrap up. Hopefully over the course of this presentation, I've achieved what I set out to do to show you that you have many gifts and passions that are unique to you. Secondly, that God is calling you to use them. I want every Catholic to be like my friend Rachel, to see a need and just go to it. And hopefully, finally, that this ministry can be fun. I'm simply inviting you to consider what your passions are, see where there's a need to apply them. Frederick Buchner said, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. The place where God calls you to, your vocation, is the place where your deep gladness, all those things that you're passionate about, things that you love, is where those and the needs of the world and the church overlap. Just imagine with me for a moment, if you will, what this diocese would look like if everybody did this. It would be unrecognizable. 
There'll be activities every night. There'll be opportunities to socialize, grow in the faith, serve the community. And most importantly, when people are new in town, like I was back at the beginning of the talk, I told you I'd eventually get back to it. When those people come to church looking for nourishment and community, they'd find it. And in so doing, they would encounter Jesus. Let's end in prayer. I'd like to read the prayer of blessed John Henry Newman, soon to be Saint John Henry Newman. And he's an Englishman, so you know this is good. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God has created me to do him some definite service. He has committed some work to me which he has not committed to another. I have my mission. I am a link in a chain, a bond of connection between persons. He has not created me for naught. I shall do good. I shall do his work. Can I get an amen? Amen. Can I get a real amen? Amen. 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 In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.